How's everybody doing? And, hey, we had coffee this morning. That is reason to celebrate, right? It's uh, the things you, you take for granted, getting coffee at church. Um, all right, everyone's still got their fingers and toes. I say toes because last night my kids were throwing those snap pop things at my toes, and I thought that was kind of rude, but uh, no one blew off any appendages. That's good. So, okay, we are in um, the book of Matthew. We've been working through it for quite some time. If you have not been with us, uh, I'll do my best to keep you, uh, to kind of catch up a little bit. We're in chapter 15. This is the first book of the New Testament. Um, I say this every week. I can make an argument that this is one of the most, if not, if not the most, important books of the entire Bible where we get to read about Jesus' teachings. If you've been with us, there's so much red letters in Matthew. So you're talking about things coming directly from the mouth of God himself, Right? So you get to read about Jesus's life. You get to read about the different experiences. You get to read about how he is training this group of, of pretty average individuals, these guys, the 12 disciples, on how they are to carry out the mission of the kingdom of God. And so we learn a lot about basically how to be followers of Christ from the book of Matthew. Last chapter, we were in chapter 14 last week, and we covered a couple of stories that are pretty famous. One is... The feeding of the 5,000, which if you weren't here, it was more in the neighborhood of probably 15,000 people that Jesus miraculously fed with some fish and with some bread, right? Fed all these people. And then we also hear about how Jesus walks on water. And uh, we talked about last week, there are three things that we learn from this whole walking on water story that is in the Bible. And Jesus is, is walking on the water towards his disciples. They're out in the middle of of uh, this, this huge sea of Galilee and there's a storm coming and they're afraid and they see Jesus and they freak out and Jesus says three things to them. He says, have courage, right? Be willing to address that we're in the middle of a storm. He said, it's me, right? It's Jesus. And then the last thing he says is he says, don't be afraid. Don't have fear, right? And so Peter steps out onto the water and Peter starts to sink because he forgets these three things. And we talked about if we forget those three things, um, we sink. This week, we're gonna do half of chapter 15, um, exactly half of it, right? I think there's 39 verses. We're gonna do about 20 verses. And uh, it's not gonna take us that long today. And what we're gonna see is Jesus is gonna get into a confrontation, right? He's gonna go on the offense. He's not gonna be just defensive. He is going to actually kind of shoot back a little bit at the religious leaders that are coming at him. But today we're gonna to talk about the heart, and it's gonna be extremely simple. Guys, and this is <laughs> all of the issues we're facing right now in our nation, right, are heart issues. It goes down to a heart issue. And until the heart changes, nothing else changes. And so we're gonna talk about that a little bit today, that society tells you to change what you do, and Jesus says, no, 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 let me change who you are. Let me change the deeper parts of you. And it's only when the deeper parts of us change that how we live, how we act, how we treat other people, only then will those things change, okay? We're gonna talk about that. So um, we had notes, handouts, I think, at the front. I'm not sure. If you didn't get one of those, everything will be on the screens. If you have a smartphone, right, download the Experience Community app. Um, it's the greatest app ever made, right? If you download that, uh, everything should be on there. Click on, um, I can't remember what you click on. I'm tired, guys. So where I live, right? I don't know if it's like the firework hub of Middle Tennessee or what, 
all night, man. And then the dogs, right? So you have the, the explosions in the sky, and then all the dogs hate that. So they bark at the explosions in the sky. And I'm laying there going, I have to wake up at 6.30, right? So, that, okay, all right, I'll stop. So, okay, let me pray. We'll jump into the scripture. We'll get done pretty quick today. Uh, if one wants, they can go home and, and take a nap. That's what I'm gonna do after the 11. So, uh, all right, let me pray. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I just wanna tell you thank you, Lord. Um, I truly appreciate, God, that the, even with all the brokenness that there is in our nation, God, I appreciate the liberty that we have. Lord, thank you for this weekend, God, where we can celebrate and think and be, and, and be thankful for the freedoms that we have, God. Even though this nation is not perfect, God, it is a good nation, and you've given us many liberties. Thank you, God, for what we're doing right now, that we have the liberty, Lord, to come into this room, to talk about the good news, to, to worship you freely, God. Thank you for that. Lord, we pray that you keep your hand on our nation. Pray that you keep your hand on our local government, God. Pray that you keep your hand on all the churches and our community, God. Pray that you keep your hand on all the nonprofits in our community. God, we pray that we can be the light and that we can go out and love people that don't know you, God, and, and hopefully show them, Lord, how good you are and that they can come into a relationship with you. God, keep your hand on us this morning. That everything we say, Lord, that it, that it honors you and everything that we talk about this morning, God, that it brings us closer to you, God, and builds us up and encourages us. Father, we pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit. Jesus has just rolled into this one town and area, a territory called Gennesaret. He rolls into this area. Everyone is like all about him. They're bringing their sick. They're bringing their lost. Jesus is teaching. He's healing. He's doing everything Jesus loves to do. The people are getting all enamored with him. And then in comes the bad guys, okay? The Pharisees, the religious leaders from Jerusalem, and they don't like this, okay? So that's where we're at. Here we go. Then Jesus was approached by Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem who asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they don't wash their hands when they eat? He answered them, why do you break God's commandment because of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever speaks evil against their father or mother must be put to death. But you say, whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift committed to the temple. He does not have to honor his father. In this way, you have nullified the word of God because of your traditions. Hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines, human commands. So Jesus had been on the radar of the religious community for a little bit of time, right? But not on a big level, on a local level. So Jesus would roll into a town. Everyone would come out, right? They, even in, in chapter 14, they just wanted to touch his clothes. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to, to be healed by him and changed and delivered. And Jesus had done all this miraculous stuff. And up until this point, it was local religious leaders that didn't like Jesus. Now we see that the big dogs, right? 
Now, now the religious leaders have brought in the big guns, if you will. They bring in the people from their capital, Jerusalem, and they confront Jesus, right? And they're pretty aggressive about it. And they come up to him and they challenge him in front of this massive group of people. Okay, so that's the setting. Now, the way that they challenged Jesus is they said, hey, we have these religious traditions and your people are not following our traditions of our elders. Now, what the traditions of the elders were were not biblical traditions. They were extra biblical, which means they were added on to the Bible by man, okay? Now, when they were brought to them, one of the things that they were talking about was this washing of hands, the ceremonial washing of hands. Now listen, the disciples weren't like these dirty dudes that didn't wash their hands before they ate, right? That's not what that means. They didn't wash their hands according to these traditional ceremonial ways of washing your hands, this huge, arduous process, right? In fact, there was a, a compilation of these oral traditions written hundreds of years after Jesus called the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, it has all these traditions, right? whole chapters on how to wash your hands. You know, we just put a little bit of that orange dial on, right? And just kind of wash it and rinse it off. And our hands are clean. They had this whole ceremony that they would do. And it, it wasn't to really make their hands clean, right? It was all superfluous. And so here's the thing. Any kind of extra biblical traditions, things that are not in the Bible, Jesus doesn't care. They're irrelevant to Jesus, and they should be irrelevant to his followers. Now, I'll clarify that a little bit more here in a little bit. So the amendments with humans, with, with people, kind of never stop. What that means is this. God gave Moses, way back in the book of Exodus, 10 commandments, right? The 10 commandments. I think most of us are relatively familiar with most of those, if not all of those. And so Moses comes down, he has these 10 commandments, and he says, this is what God wants us to do. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward stuff. Let's do these things. And by the time Jesus came onto the scene, what had happened is, is we got a hold, mankind got a hold of these 10 simple things, and we started adding amendments. Well, let's add this on, and not just, you know, love your neighbor, but do this, 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 and we tack on all these things, right? And by the time Jesus rolled up on the scene, there was somewhere in the neighborhood of 650 to 700 added rules onto the Ten Commandments. And what had happened is minor additions morphed into major departures from God's original intention. It's the same thing with us, guys. We start adding little things to the Bible, which the Bible blatantly says not to do, but we start adding little things and taking little things away and altering it, and it may begin like little minor changes at first, but by the time you're done, you've realized that you're a long way from where God originally wanted you to be. So we have created traditions. All kinds of churches have created extra-biblical things that they do. It's not just the Catholics or Lutherans or Anglicans or Episcopalians or all kinds. It, it's Baptist churches. It's Church of Christ churches. It's even non-denominational churches. We create these traditions, and not all traditions are bad, but when those traditions take more precedence than what the Bible says, it's very, very bad, okay? That is the problem, is when that threshold is crossed. So I love this. Jesus gets a little snappy, right? If you haven't been here long, Man, Jesus has his sassy moments in the Bible, like big time. One of those is right here. 
So these religious leaders come up to him and they say, why are you breaking our rules? Now, let me frame this. The Bible says that Jesus is the creator of all things. That includes humanity, okay? Jesus is the creator God. Imagine if you were the creator God and one of your creations walked up to you and said, why don't you do it the way I do it? That's what was happening in that moment. So the God of the universe is standing there in flesh. His creation walks up and says, why are you breaking our rules? Instead of him defending, right, his disciples, Jesus turns it the other way and he's gonna go on the offensive. And he confronted the fact that their traditions were taking precedent over God's commands. So instead of defending his disciples, he answered their question with a bigger question. And so he brought up the Ten Commandments, right? These were the religious leaders. They should have known, they did know, the Ten Commandments right to a T. And Jesus says, if you remember the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your parents. And in Jewish culture, the way they honored their parents, one of the ways they honored their parents, a little bit different than how we do it now, is in Jewish culture, when your parents reached kind of a retirement age where they couldn't work anymore, it was the child's responsibility to financially take care of the parents. Now, that's different in our culture because we have 401ks and 403bs and Roth IRAs and pension plans. So we don't have to do that as much in our culture. But in Jesus' time, it was part of the culture to honor your parents by taking care of them financially. Now, what the Pharisees were doing is they were telling young people, don't take care of your parents Give your money to the church for 1995, right? You can have this water that's been blessed and heals you every time you pour it on your head, right? Don't invest. Don't use your money wisely. Just send your money. I need a fourth jet, right? That's what these guys were doing. They were saying, give your money. Isn't it crazy? These, these scam artists want to be pastors, right? That are really just fakes. They've been around ever since religion has existed. We still have them today. And so these guys were saying, don't, don't take care of your parents. Don't follow the Ten Commandments. Just give your money to us. We'll take care of it. And Jesus called them out on this. Now, here comes the real problem. Jesus says, God told you guys to do this, but you are saying something completely different. The problem is this. This is for all of us, not just for the Pharisees who are kind of the bad guys in this story, right? This goes for all of us in this room, everyone who's watching. If Jesus tells us blatantly to do this, but we decide to do that, we have walked into some very dangerous territory. So what that means, brothers, sisters, if you're a Christian in this room, if this book says it is a sin to do something and we continue to do it, we are walking on dangerous ground, right? We are being rebellious. So how often have we done this as a people, right? Let's talk about the United States because that's where we live, right? How oftentimes have we as a people known that something is wrong, but we did this, right? We neglected the scripture. And then if we zoom in, how many times us in this room as individuals, I've done it too. How many times have we known that something is right and wrong and we just do what we want to do? The Bible tells us in the book of James, 
Jesus is not going to tolerate that. He does not turn a blind eye to rebellion. He does not turn a blind eye to if someone knows what is right and continues to do something wrong. That does not escape the vision of Jesus Christ. He sees that and he's going to deal with that. It's not okay. And Jesus addresses these people and he calls them hypocrites. So we're going to talk about us. Now listen, if you're not a believer in this room, just let me bash on Christians for a second. We often say things, right? We tell people what the Bible says. We look at other people who struggle with certain sins. When we have unaddressed sin in our own lives, we claim to be followers of God, but we intentionally, knowingly break his commands And according to Jesus, he looks at people who claim to follow God, but don't actually do what God says, and he says, you're a hypocrite. Now, that word hypocrite comes from the Greek hypocrites. That literally means an actor. That literally means someone that acts a certain part, but they're not really what they're acting like they are. Now, guys, let me break it to you. We have all done this. We have all been hypocrites. I get a kick out of people who are like, well, I don't go to church because there's hypocrites there. And I'm like, well, then you better not leave your house because they're everywhere, right? They're at your work. They're at the gas station. They're at the coffee shop, right? If you just want to avoid hypocrites, you should just dig a good-sized hole in your backyard, put yourself in said hole, just pull the dirt on top of you, right? (laughs) You'll never come in in contact with a hypocrite except for yourself. But anyways, we have all done this. So what do we do? Since all of us have fallen short, the Bible says, right? All of us have been hypocrites. What do we do about that? Well, we have to first say, I'm a hypocrite sometimes. And then we have to say, I don't want to be a hypocrite. So we ask God to forgive us of our hypocrisy. We say, Lord, keep us away from hypocrisy. God, if I slip up again and do something hypocritical, forgive me. And I'm going to ask for forgiveness to the one I was hypocritical to. We have to choose to not live in hypocrisy, okay? So what Jesus says is this. Man, this hits so close to home right now. He says, Isaiah, the prophet, was right. You people that claim to be followers of God, you say the right things. Your lips are close, but your heart is really, really far away. (laughs) I got the tattoo that says Jesus. I got the bumper sticker that says it, right? I wear a shirt that says it. Everything about me, Jesus, right? I say it with my lips. I put those little pics on Instagram, right? My bagel, my Bible, and my coffee, and look at how spiritual I am. Look at how good I am. But in my heart, there's a lot of unaddressed darkness. And Isaiah said, there's gonna come a time where the people of God's lips are really, really close, but their hearts are very, very distant. And all these things, the Instagram pictures, right? I love Protestants in the South. They make fun of Catholics because of all those rituals they do, but... Man, I take that ritualistic picture of my Bible every single day, but that's different than their rituals. This one's okay. And you know what Jesus says? It's all in vain. You can post all those scriptures you want on Facebook, but if you're not actually reading your Bible and praying to God and living it out, it's a waste of your time. That's what Jesus is saying. So what's the solution, right? We can all identify the problem. Society has becoming good at pointing the finger at problems, not so good about offering solutions. So let me offer one. It's very simple. Stick to the word and do what it says. (laughs) Look at how hard that is. You got to read this thing, and then you have to not just read it, you have to do it. You have to live this thing out. It is that simple, okay? Let's talk about our dark, dark hearts. Here we go. (laughs) 
Summoning the crowd, Jesus told them, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. It's what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came up to Jesus and told him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? (laughs) Jesus replied, every plant that my heavenly father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, they both fall into a pit. Then Peter said, explain this parable to us. Jesus said, do you lack understanding? Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. For from the heart, this is so important, guys, come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, and slander. These are the things that defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. This is so important, and it is so simple. So Jesus is having this conversation, right? It's a confrontation. It's kind of an aggressive confrontation with these religious leaders. All these people around, and Jesus summons the crowd. He says, hey, everybody, Come here for a second. I want you to hear this, right? So he saw this as a teachable moment for everyone that was around him. And Jesus is going to address the Pharisees' original question about hand washing. So Jesus says, listen and understand. Listen to me and understand. This is very similar to all the other times that Jesus said, for those who have ears. What that means is this. If you want to hear, if you want to understand the truth, Come on, I'm about to share it with you. I'm about to drop some truth on you right now. So Jesus gets everyone to gather around, okay? And so verse 11 through 13, Jesus tells a very short parable. If you have not been here, all parables are are very, very simple stories, right? Even a child can understand these stories, but it teaches us a very big truth about the kingdom of God. So Jesus just said this, essentially. A person doesn't become bad, defiled. A person isn't defiled based on what is on the outside. It's not the kind of food they eat. It's not the color of their skin. It's not, you know, how nice their clothes are. It's, that's not what makes a person bad or good. What makes a person bad or good is what is on the inside. And from this inside darkness, right, that's where all the bad actions come from. Here's what, here's what the, the confrontation was about. The religious leader said, fix the outside. We don't like the outside. Fix your actions. Fix how you talk. Fix how you wash your hands. Fix how you dress. Fix all this on the outside. And Jesus was saying, there's no point of addressing the outside until you've addressed the inside. It is the inside that matters because it is from the inside that all of our actions take place. It's like if you go to a doctor and you sneeze, and he says, we got to stop that sneeze. A sneeze is a symptom of a greater sickness. We have to get to the core of the sickness. It's the same thing with our actions. Our actions are just a symptom of a greater problem, which is our heart. 
So Jesus wasn't saying that actions don't matter. Actions do matter. What Jesus was saying is your actions will never change until your heart changes. We become distant from God by not addressing the sin in our hearts. And when we don't address the sin in our hearts, when we're not obedient to the commands of God, we become distant from God. It's not by following man-made traditions. Listen. And again, I'm not against all man-made traditions. Let me tell you this. One of my best pastor friends is Father Finley over at St. Patrick's Anglican Church. They have all kinds of traditions. Everything in their sanctuary is symbolic of something, and they go through all this liturgy. But the difference is, is, is Father Finley doesn't put that above God or above the Bible. They're traditions, but they're not necessarily bad traditions. But whenever we start thinking that those traditions save us, that's when it becomes a problem. If you think just coming to church on Sunday saves your soul, you are wrong. Do I think you should be here? Yes. Do I think it's important? Yes. Will it save you? No. Only having a personal relationship with Christ will save your soul. And that happens all seven days of the week, not just on Sunday morning. So that tradition alone does not save us. I love this though. Jesus says all this. <laughs> And his disciples walk up and they're like, Jesus, you really upset those people. <laughs> and Jesus' response was, I don't care. <laughs> and so he takes it further. He says, not only did I upset them, one day God's going to uproot them and they are blind people that are leading other blind people straight to the pits of hell. So if they weren't offended at first, Jesus thoroughly offended them later. Here's the thing, though. It's not that Jesus wanted to be an offensive jerk. Jesus cared more about the illumination of truth than he cared about people's feelings because Jesus knew that the only way to be saved was to tell people the truth. So listen, if you're cheating on your wife, if you're cheating on your wife, and I approach you, and I can't tell you how many dozens of times this has happened in this church, where I have approached someone that is, and I know they're committing infidelity, right? I had a whole family leave our church a couple of years ago because I confronted them in the most nice, kind way ever, that they had an open marriage, and I'm like, this is not gonna end up good for you guys. Of course they're divorced, right? Of course they have no relationship with the Lord right now. But I remember approaching them and saying, if you don't change this, it's not going to be good. Oh, how dare you? You're so judgmental. How dare you? I offended them. I upset them. They left our church. But listen, I care more about their eternal souls than I care if they like Corey Trimble or not. And Jesus felt the same way. I care more about your soul than offending you. Here's the thing, guys. Lost people will never realize that their lives are self-destructive until we tell them that those things lead to death. Sin leads to death. It can lead to physical death and it can lead to eternal death. It will lead to eternal death. And we have so many people who say, well, I don't want to offend anyone. We're going to have a bunch of non-offended people walking straight into hell for eternity if we're not careful. We are doing people the biggest eternal injustice if we do not share the truth of Jesus Christ. Of course we do it with love. Of course we do it with tact. Of course we do it in a way that is, that is gracious. But we have to tell people what is right. And we have to tell people what is wrong. And so Peter comes up and he says, Jesus, help me understand. 
He asked for some more clarity about this parable about things going in the mouth, but then the heart producing things coming out of them. Now, guys, this may be the most important slide I show you today. Jesus goes on to explain that a heart without God is evil and things like evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immorality, thefts, and slander come from the heart. Why is that so important? Because everyone in your world right now is telling you to follow your heart. And look at what Jesus says. It is no wonder that our society right now is riddled with evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, and slander. It's no wonder that we're enamored and, and engulfed in those things right now because society says, follow your heart. And Jesus says, if you follow your heart, you're gonna run right into these things. That's what's in your heart apart from the Holy Spirit of God that should be in your heart. So if you say, follow your heart, and someone goes, I'm gonna follow it, this is what you're gonna come across. And that's why we're seeing this in our society like crazy. Because Beyonce says, follow your heart. Well, Corey, Beyonce said it. I don't care. She's not your spiritual leader. At least she shouldn't be. Nothing against her. But we're looking at pop culture and we're looking at movie stars and we're looking at influencers, whatever the heck that is. We're looking at that stuff and saying these people who have really never done anything of substance in their whole life, we are getting all of our theology and way to live from them, and they're saying, follow your heart. This is exactly what we get. It's exactly what we get. That's what's in your heart. If you dig deep into your heart, you're going to find an ugly, ugly mess. That's what's going to be down there. Now, we should also be mindful. Of course, God has to change our heart, right? We should also be mindful of what we do. But what we have to remember is this. It all starts with a change of heart. It is first by addressing the heart that how we live changes. That we start to see people the way God sees people. It has to start in the heart. Listen, guys, man, I gotta be careful with this. I am all about equality. I am all about recognition of race. And I'm all about all those things. But you're not going to teach a white supremacist to love a black person apart from God doing something to their heart. It has to be God interjecting in their heart. It has to be God changing the heart. We can say all day long, treat all people the way you want to be treated. But until we have the Holy Spirit in our heart, we can't live out that command. It is by the Spirit in our heart, the, the Spirit residing in our heart, that we have wisdom to make the right choices, that we have a love for humanity that we have the discernment to stay away from damaging external forces. It is only by the Holy Spirit guiding us that we know that that is wrong. Stay away from that. That's not the way to respond. That's not the thing to do. It is only by that guidance of the Spirit that we can do that. So here's the thing. Look, look, I'm going to go backwards a little bit, and then I'm going to go back to this heart thing. Listen, not all traditions are bad. They're not all bad. But when some traditions become more important than God's commands, it is wrong. It is wrong, right? If you think salvation is based off praying that rosary four times a day or five times a day, if you think that's what it is, that, that's not it. It's having a relationship with him. I don't have anything wrong with you praying, for, praying with a rosary. I don't, I don't have any problem with that. But when that becomes, when that tradition becomes a bigger deal than having a personal, intimate, one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus, it's wrong. It's wrong. Do you know what a greater problem is, though? A greater problem than just the traditions of man right now 
is biblical negligence. What that means is this. I can't tell you how many Christians, right? I've heard at coffee shops or I've heard just sitting around somewhere at a restaurant and they're talking to someone else and they'll talk about a hot topic issue, right? Like abortion or gay marriage or something that's going on, or war or whatever the case may be. And you'll hear these Christians talking, or maybe it's a Christian and a non-Christian, and I'll hear the Christians say, well, I believe this. Now, here's my problem with that statement. Any thought that we have that is not in alignment with Jesus Christ is a worthless thought. So if a Christian who claims to follow Jesus says, well, I know that this is there, but I believe this, you're not a follower of Jesus. If this book says that something is a sin, but we say, well, I don't believe that, I don't really care what you believe. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, you're to follow his beliefs. He's the leader, you're the follower. Let me give you a worldly example. In 2017, it's been a couple of years, uh, I got my black belt in Taekwondo, and I'm not bragging about that, but I had a guy approach me. He was an eighth degree black belt. His name's Ken. His adopted father is a man named Jun Ree. If you know anything about martial arts, Jun Ree, there was no such thing as Taekwondo in the United States until Jun Ree brought it over from Korea in the 1950s. Jun Ree helped train people like Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali and he, Chuck Norris, I got to chuck, talk to Chuck Norris on the phone one time, which was a very weird, and um, over speakerphone, and I'm um, sitting there sparring and Chuck Norris calls, uh, not me, he called Ken. But um, this guy was a grandmaster, right? And I went from white to black in 13 months, four lessons a week, one-on-one, -on -one, two hours a lesson, it was total hell, it was awful, um, but I wanted to get my black belt. And so I remember one day, we were maybe eight months into training, right? We're doing some kind of crazy stretch and we're doing some kind of crazy kick. And I made the mistake of telling a guy who has eight degrees in black belt and, and, and very, very knowledgeable about this craft. I said, hey, I think I should do the kick this way. And he said, pastor, with all due respect, I'm the teacher who's been doing this longer than you've been alive and you're the student. Do the kick this way. I said, yes, sir, because I don't want a five-foot guy kicking me in the head. You know, it's embarrassing. <laughs> Twice my age and can whoop my butt anytime, right? I don't want that. So I said, yes, sir. But what I learned in that was he was the master and I was the pupil, right? And so how many times do we say, well, God, I believe this. And God's like, your rules don't mean anything to me. I'm the creator. You're the creation, and so whenever people who claim to follow Christ say, well, I believe this, you better be able to back it up with this book. And if you can't, I don't care what your beliefs are. Whenever we say, I believe this, but we don't check, it shows how biblically negligent we are, and it really shows that we're not really a follower of Jesus in the first place, okay? So when it comes to following our hearts, right, where has that gotten society, where has it ever gotten society? Not just currently, where has it ever gotten us? Every great civilization, because they were godless, has eventually fallen, right? The Roman Empire fell, the Greek Empire fell, the Assyrians fell, the Egyptians fell. Everyone fell, right? Because they followed their hearts. They did what they wanted to do and not what God commanded them to do. Where has that gotten us? So when society constantly tells you to follow your heart, just look at the fruit of that endeavor. Where has following our hearts gotten our society right now? Where has it ever gotten our society? Nowhere. And that's why the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, not to follow your heart, 
but follow the spirit of God that should be residing in your heart because a heart absent of God is self-serving. It's corrupt. And God is the only one that can fix the heart. Look at what the Bible says. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and it is incurable. Who can understand it? The great question, who can fix the human heart? And here's the answer in verse 10. I, the Lord, I examine the heart. I test the heart. I look at the heart. I fix the heart. I change the heart. And I give to it what it deserves according to its actions. Who can fix the heart? Who can change the heart? Only God. And God says your heart is messed up. It's got a lot of issues, right? It lies to you. Well, Corey, I left my husband because of this. Your heart lied to you. It lied to you. It deceived you to thinking that abandoning your relationship for these feelings would give you fulfillment. And it doesn't. It lies. It's deceitful. It's incurable unless we let God get a hold of our hearts. And it is full of the Holy Spirit. For Paul says, for all those led by God's spirits are Christians. For those who follow not their heart, but follow the Spirit of God, those are Christians. But if you're following your heart, you're not a Christian. By definition, following your heart is a self thing. That is self-righteousness. That's self-serving. It's about you. But when we follow God's spirit, it's all about him. And here's the thing about that. When we make it all about him, we benefit. Do you know God has nothing to benefit for a relationship with you? Nothing. God has everything he needs without you. The only one that really benefits from a relationship with God is us. So when we give it all to him, we're the ones that benefit from that. When his spirit leads us, we have better marriages. We have better families. We have better work ethic. We have better communities. We have better governments. We have better societies. Everything gets different. Everything changes. But where does it begin? It begins with a desire. Listen, if you are in this room right now and you are not a Christian, but you found yourself here because you're looking for answers, that is very, very encouraging to me. Jesus is not looking for perfect people. Jesus is looking for people who want to know the truth. They have a desire, right? They're asking the big questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? What is my destiny? What is my purpose, right? They're asking the big questions. They have a willingness to change. Now, here's what happens if you have a willingness to change. If you have a desire to change, it's gonna lead you to this book. I give you my word. If you have a desire to want to know the truth, it's going to lead you to this book. If you have a genuine desire. What happens, though, is when that genuine desire leads us to this book, the gospel then exposes that we are sick. <laughs> Guys, look how practical this is. When you feel bad, you go to a doctor, right? And then the doctor says, this is the problem. This is the problem. So when we start asking those big questions about what's wrong with us, it leads us to this book. And then the great physician says, the problem is the state of your heart. It has lied to you. It has deceived you. It has told you things that are not true. And I am the only one that can fix it. 
So we have a desire for the truth. It leads us to this book. The truth exposes to us that the problem is our heart. God says, I'm the only one that can fix your heart. And when we allow God to penetrate the deepest, darkest chambers of our heart, then we start to produce good thoughts. Then we start to produce good actions. Then we start to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Then we start to treat our spouse the way we should. Then we have a desire to go back to the word of God, to learn how to do it even better to be a better employee, to be a better manager, to be a better neighbor, whatever the case may be. And it's this cycle. And it starts repeating itself. And this is called sanctification. And what happens is is when we get in this wheel, the good actions start bringing us even closer to God because God honors the good things that we do and the desire to want to know more truth and to dig deeper and to press further into God. And we get more answers and our heart changes even more and more and more. And though we're not perfect, we start to move away from sin. And the addiction to porn is not a problem anymore. And the looking at other guys when I'm at work is not a problem anymore. And treating my kids with honor and respect and teaching them to fear the Lord is not laborious anymore. And I get closer and closer to God. It is this cycle. And it makes life better. And it makes us to have hope in a time of hopelessness. And it leads us to be able to see God working even in the middle of chaos. It enables us to hold on to our marriage and our family. Everything changes. If we will get into that cycle of drawing closer and closer to him. But it all begins with a desire. A want to. We've been saying it for months now. Do you want your sick heart to get better? Do you want your sick heart to get better? Do you even acknowledge that you have a sick heart? Do you acknowledge that the only thing that can fix it is God? I can't tell you how many people in the last four months who claim Christianity, right? It's all over their Facebook, right? How Christian they are. And they are living in deep, dark, nasty, disgusting sin. Because if they were honest with themselves, they really don't think God fulfills. They think having sex with this person does. They think doing this drug does. They think living this lifestyle does. And they can say all day long that they follow Jesus Christ, but they really follow their heart. And it's leading them down a path of utter destruction. Do we want to? Do we acknowledge this? Do we acknowledge that he's the only one that can fix it? The only one that can give a peace that passes all understanding. All understanding. We live in a world right now that is so chaotic and confused. So hateful. And the only thing that can fix this is God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Listen, we have all fallen short. We have all made mistakes. We have all let sin creep into our hearts. All of us have done that. All of us. I think the great question this morning is, are we, are we fed up with it? Are we done with it? Do we want to move on from it? 
maybe we've been in a self-destructive cycle. Do we want to get out of that and get into a reconstructive cycle? One that's going to help us and help those around us. Not just for eternity, but tomorrow. At work. At home. When will we reach a point to where we say, I just cannot do this. And we lay it down at the feet of Jesus and say, only you can do this. Here, here. Listen, if you're in this room and maybe you're at step number one, you just want to know some truth. Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Isaac is up here. If you have any questions for him, he doesn't get offended by questions. He doesn't get thrown off by questions. He would love to talk with you. Any questions you may have, we'll do our best. We have men and women at the front that would love to pray for you for anything that you may need. Anything at all, they'll pray for you. And then the last thing we have is is you should have received communion on your way in. Now listen, you don't have to take that. But if you decide to take it, let me tell you a couple of things about that. One, please be respectful of the people around you, okay? Two, you cannot take the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That juice and that bread represents that Jesus Christ died for you. As Paul says, even while we were still sinners. He died on the cross for us, shed his blood, gave up his body so we could be healed, so we could be forgiven. All of us are welcome to take that as long as you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. It's a great opportunity, guys. It's a great opportunity right now that if there is any darkness in your heart, listen, you can say before you take that communion to Jesus right here this morning, God, if there is anything, examine my heart and show me darkness that needs to be dealt with. And if he exposes that to you, which I believe he will, you can pray for God to forgive you You can leave this place clean, white. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we praise you. God, you've been so good to us, Lord. Father, for anyone in this room that maybe has not discovered the truth, but they're hungry, I pray, God, that you just continue to reveal yourself to them. For those of us that maybe, God, we've called ourselves Christians, but honestly, Lord, we've been hypocrites. We've said that we follow you, but our lips are close, but our hearts are far away. Forgive us, God. Lord, let us acknowledge that, and Lord, let us, let us give that to you so you can change it. God, thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. God, these are difficult times, hard times. So, Father, we need your spirit. We don't want to be led by ourselves, God. We want to be led by you. Lord, only you know the future. Only you know the path that we should take. So God, be gracious with us. Help us, God. Strengthen us. Bless my friends in this room, God. Everyone who's watching, Lord. We pray all these things in your son's name, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.